uh, I do have a Christmas message. It's a bit different. It's a bit uh, abstract. I'm sure that surprises you. Uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna get around the Christmas mountain, but we're we're gonna go through not the main highway. We're gonna go like a we're gonna meander on a foothill. But it's because we got a Christmas dilemma. We got to solve a dilemma, and and because uh, man, let me tell you, when you're a preacher. Uh, and, and Brother Michael know about this, and Brother Tokes, you may, any of you guys that preach, y'all know there's, there's, there's pressure, especially now in the information age, because let me tell you, man, YouTube is full of channels of, of preachers, but what they do is they preach against other preachers, right? And so they, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's man, it's crazy, boy. It's 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 uh, and and so even even old Pastor Dave, who man, who in the world cares about me? And you know, Pastor, and we got this nice little sheepfold over here, uh, and I'll do those little ninety-second snippets, you know, and stick it out on our Instagram and, and our Facebook and YouTube and email blasts. And of course, when it's all over the internet, that means anyone in the world can look at it. And boy, you get these self-proclaimed theologians that want to you know, nitpick every little thing. You know, I'm just trying to get on and encourage somebody. Hey, be happy in the Lord today. The Bible says this. Well, brother, I think you've misused that a little bit. And uh, you need to, you know, you're like, man, what? And boy, I get, I get a little private. Mess. So we, I got to be careful because I don't know who's watching our stream today. I don't want to show up on YouTube on one of them YouTube channels. So Christmas Eve, we got a sermon. We're going to call it Applying Emmanuel. Applying Emmanuel. So what in the world is that? Well, we're going we're gonna to get to that. And we're going to get to Christmas, I promise you. We're going to get to Christmas. But first, we got to talk about uh, Bible study. So there's lots of ways to plunge into the Bible, to do deep dives into the Bible. There's, there's, uh, you'll see different people have different formulas depending on where, if you want to go to Bible college, depending on what seminary you go to, they'll teach a different methodologies to study the Word of God. There's books that have been written uh, some people have four steps, some people have three steps, some people have seven steps, some people have ten steps. I mean, it's you, like you, you want to study the Bible, there are books out there and, and different philosophies as to how to study the Bible. No matter the ones that I've looked at, all tend to, somewhere along the line, these are going to be the three most commonly repeated themes. No matter what kind of Bible study you try to, or what methodology you try to plunge into when it comes to the Word of God. You've got the contextual word of God, right? Everyone say contextual word of God. Someone say, what does this have to do with Christmas? Just bear with me. We're going to get to Christmas, right? But we've got to solve something. We've got to figure something out. Contextual word of God. That's the, when you plunge in and you say, hey, what's the context of this word? Who wrote it? Who were they writing it to? Why did they write it? What was taking place? Uh, what was the issue at hand? What was taking place in society? What was the world like? Who was... Who, you know, what was the nation, what were the nations doing at the time? Uh, you try to figure out exactly what was going on so you know you have a better idea of why this word was written. Then you have, uh, also you have the implied word. Does this word, I've looked at the context of it, does it have any implications for me or for my life or for the world today? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is not, not necessarily, Right. Uh, and then ultimately, no matter what methodology you use, you, you wind up hopefully at the applied word. How do I take this word and apply it to my life? Get it to move from the context of the pages into the right now of my life, right? 
and how do I put it into action? I've read the word, I believe it, I have faith in it, now I need to put some uh, works with that faith. I need to put some feet on that faith, so I need to apply this word. How does it apply? Sometimes the word does apply, sometimes it doesn't apply. So now, with all of this, there's an incredible balance you learn on how to do all this stuff, but you've got people who camp out at the extremes. And those tend to be very uh, opinionated folk, right? Like you've got some folks who love just camping out at the applied word, right? They're gonna apply the word. They're not worried about the context because we, we're not alive back then. We're alive right now, so we need to apply the word right now. Well, sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't, okay? For example, everyone with me? Everyone say Merry Christmas. All right, <laughs> we're getting to Christmas, I promise. But sometimes there's, there's an issue. For instance, the type of Christianity I grew up in that would be my family uh, heritage. I learned some wonderful things. I had to unlearn some things. But for instance, uh, they would preach that it is wrong for women to wear pants. They have to wear skirts or dresses. Women cannot cut their hair. Women cannot wear makeup. Women cannot wear jewelry. Men cannot have facial hair. Men cannot have long hair. You have to be nice short hair. Matter of fact, uh, nobody can wear shorts. That's immodest. You, you got to wear long sleeves maybe, depending on the church, or, you, or at least long dress, long pants. All this stuff. Say, well, well how, why in the world would they go to that type of dress code? Well, they have script. They will give you scripture. I can, I can open up the Bible, and I can read you scriptures and preach a sermon on all that and, and show scripture for it. The problem is it's applied word without considering the contextual word. Does that make sense? It's just kind of, kind of, kind of henpecking at the word saying, oh, hey, it says this, we're going to apply it. Well, if you read it in context, it's, it's applied incorrectly. If that makes, that's the danger. If you're just camping out in the applied word, Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it's applied in error. It's, yeah, it's the applied word. It's just applied wrong, right? Uh, it's kind of like my, my youngest daughter wanted, she was going to run out with some friends. She wanted to freshen up. She thought she was going to uh, grab like some body spray of mine or something. And she goes, Dad, do you mind if I use some of this? And I looked and I said, do you... Uh, you know, she, she pulled it out from under the sink. And I said, well, you got athlete's foot? It was tenactin, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, well, what was she going to do? She was going to apply it. She was about to apply it incorrectly, right? Woo, she would have been in for a surprise, right? So, uh, I said, man, we're, <laughs> you know, she's playing basketball. I don't know. She may, but so, well, what was it? It was applied, it was applied she was applying it just incorrectly. Then you've got those that camp out in the contextual word of God. And, I, and these guys hammer everybody. I mean, they got their whole YouTube channels that just, that's the camp. We're the contextual word of God camp. They don't say that, but they might as well. And it's, they, and it's because they've watched, enough, YouTube, they've watched enough, enough other YouTubers and Googled enough things that now they're theologians, right? I don't know what you have to do to be a theologian. Exactly. I don't know what the criteria. Mike, do you know what the criteria? How how do you become a theologian? I don't even know that. So, five. Oh, these days it is five. <laughs> but it's but it's context, 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 and any type of removal from the context. I mean, you you've 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 applied it, but but no, it's the context. You got to stay in the context. You got to stay in the context. And those tend to be the guys who, 
actually do become a little bit more active. Those that hang out in just the applied word area, if you don't agree with them, they go, well, whatever, you're going to hell anyway, leave me alone, right? Uh, the contextual is, the contextual is, uh, they, they'll want to be debating and argumentative and all that type of stuff. Uh, and then they get, they'll get irritated with me because I, I won't debate because I've never seen people come together over debates, right? Uh, so, so it's, it's you know, context, con and, and I understand the need for context, trust me. Um, but also there comes a time you also have to allow the Holy Spirit to apply it. So, but with that, those tend to be the guys that, that kind of will, will reach out and, you know, hey, this and that, or, or you know, want to kind of argue with the con. So the problem is this. If we're just going to remain in context, 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 then Christmas is in trouble. And we can't have Christmas in trouble, man, because tomorrow is Christmas. Tomorrow is Christmas. So we got to figure something out. Now, in order to do that, we got to go back to one of the best Christmas stories in the whole Bible, right? You don't find it in Matthew. You don't find it in Luke. You find it in Isaiah chapter 7. But wait, context. Let me give you some context before we get into this. Everyone still with me? Yes. Everyone say ho, 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 ho. Okay, all right, you're still with me. All right, before we start reading, let me give you some context, okay? At this time, Israel is divided in two. They've had civil war. So the northern region of Israel is called Israel. Southern region is called Judah, right? Now, the king of Judah is King Ahaz. Everyone say Ahaz. Okay, so Ahaz is nervous because you have this kingdom called Assyria that is basically wiping everyone out. They're coming in, taking over. They're taking exiles from everyone's land. They're, they're really starting to take over, and they're pretty powerful. He's really nervous because he sees the writing on the wall. Now he's doubly nervous because the king of Israel, who's King Pika, everyone say Pika. You can remember Pikachu, okay? So uh, King Pika and then uh, King Razin, who is the king of Syria, not Assyria, but the king of Syria, they get together and they come to the king of Judah, who's King Ahaz, and they say this, let's form an alliance. And then when we form this alliance, we'll be powerful enough, we can go out and we can attack Assyria before they come to us. Y'all remember this Christmas story? I mean, it's like, can you smell the gingerbread yet? Right? So, so oh no, I don't know what Siri decided to call Don Sickles just now. I don't know what's going on. Don't call Don Sickles. <laughs> I love him, but now's not the time to talk to Don Sickles at the moment. We love Don. Uh, so, so you've got these two guys that want to form a pact with Judah so they can go whoop up on Assyria. And, and King Ahaz says this, y'all are crazy. I don't even want to, that's poking the bear. Leave the Assyrians alone. I don't want anything to do with this. Matter of fact, I hope he forgets about me. And so these two guys, King Pekah and King Perez, say, well, you know what? You know what we're going to do? We're going to come and attack Judah. We're going to attack your capital, Jerusalem. And when we take it over, we got our own guy that we're going to put in as king, and that way we can still do what we want to do. So King Ahaz is nervous, and he's saying, woe is me, woe is me. So God tells Isaiah. That's the context. Everyone say context. So whoever's watching the stream, we're staying in context. Don't private message me this week. Isaiah chapter 7. God says this to Isaiah. I want you to go to Ahaz and say, tell him to stop worrying. 
This is what's cool, because God's trying to tell Ahaz, I'm on your side. Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned out embers, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Ramalia. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying we will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves. Then we will ins install the son of Tab Tabiel as Judah's king. Y'all remember this? Y'all, did your grandpa ever read you the story on Christmas Eve? No? No? Okay, all right, well. Huh. All right, so but I mean, we're, we're going to get to Christmas, y'all. Hang on, hang on. So he says, yeah, 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 yeah. They've been saying that to you. But this is what God says. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It ain't going to happen. It will never take place. For Syria is no stronger than its capital, Damascus. And Damascus is no stronger than its king, Rezin. As for Israel, within 65 years, it will be crushed and completely destroyed. Israel is no stronger than its capital, Samaria. And Samaria is no stronger than its king, Pekah, son of Ramalia. So he's like, it's just not going to happen. They're not as strong as you think they are. That's what God's telling God's telling them this. And then God says this, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. So he's like, all he's saying is what we preach around here all the time. Trust me. Don't freak out over these guys. Trust me. But if you don't trust me, I can't make you stand. I'm trying to make you stand firm, Right. Then he keeps saying, he's, he says, he, he's saying, I know they said that, but this is what I'm saying. Then he says, later, so he's still worrying about it. So Isaiah has to go back to King Ahaz, right? Say, what does this have to do with Christmas? Just hang on. We're getting to Christmas. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation. Ahaz, ask me for a sign. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. He said, ask me for confirmation. Just tell me to prove myself to you. I want to prove it to you. Now, King Ahaz decides to get real spiritual all of a sudden. He says, no. Verse 12, but the king refused. No, he said, I will not test or tempt the Lord like that. He's quoting now from Deuteronomy. I will not tempt the Lord thy God. So Isaiah's like, are you kidding me? He says, look, then he said, listen well, you royal family of David. Boy, he's mad now. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? But you must exhaust the patience of my God as well. So Isaiah's like, look, it's bad enough you're getting on my nerves. Now you're getting on God's nerves. He's trying to tell you. He's trying to tell you he's for you. He's on your side. He is with you. Don't worry about a thing, right? Then, then God keeps talking. So this is what Isaiah says. He says, all right, then, since you won't ask God for a sign, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Here we go. Christmas. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him what? Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. Y'all recognize that? That's the, the Christmas prophecy. But we got to keep it in context. He's talking to King Ahaz. He's trying to make sure Ahaz understands God's not going to let these guys come and invade you. Don't you worry about that. And then there's more to this prophecy. 
By the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. Say, what does that mean? Well, we're about, I'm glad you asked. We're about to explain it real quick. First of all, when he says, look, the virgin will conceive a child, the word there for virgin in Hebrew is Alma. Everyone say Alma. It actually means a young woman of marital age. It doesn't mean, and we got young years here, so it doesn't mean what you think it means there, right? It just means a young woman of childbearing years. Now, so theologians have questioned, is, he ta- is Isaiah talking about King Ahaz's wife, young wife? If so, this is a prophecy about Hezekiah. Is Isaiah talking about his own wife? If so, it's, I, I can't even remember that. The, it would have been Isaiah's second son. I can't remember the name of his son at the moment. Or is this a figurative woman that Isaiah is dealing with? Because notice, like right now, we're, we're not talking about sheep. We're not talking about Bethlehem. We're not talking about anything. We're talking about Ahaz about to get invaded, he thinks. And God trying to say, relax, I got you, Right? So he's saying, a, he's talking about a young woman who's going to give birth, and, they're gonna, and, and that birth is going to represent the fact that God is with you. God is with you. And he says, by the time the child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong. What is that? That is a time frame he's trying to, what does this have to do with Christmas? Hang on. We're going to get there. Look at your neighbor and say, be patient. All right. So what does this have to do? It's a time frame. And it's anywhere, depending on which Jewish philosophy you want to read about, two years old to possibly 13 years old. Regardless, he's trying to denote that this sign and these things are going to happen within a very short time, sometime within a decade probably, right? Sometime within 10 years that this is going to be a sign, and the sign is going to be that this child is going to be eating Yogurt, other translations say curds and honey. In other words, like cottage cheese and honey. Say, well, that sounds pretty good. Well, here's the problem with it. It sounds pretty good like when we're thinking about us and maybe breakfast or whatever, like, you know, a little cottage cheese, a little honey, get you some fruit, get you a bagel or something like that. Here's the problem. He's saying he's going to be eating yogurt and honey. That, that is a pasteurized meal, right? That comes from, you know, whether it's goats, cows, sheep, honey coming from bees. But, but in other words, he's saying that the lands are going to be deserted from these two kings. That means there's not going to be anyone to work the fields. There's not going to be barley. There's not going to be wheat. There's not going to be any breads, any, any salad greens, field greens. So basically, everyone's going to be surviving on pasteurized foods or whatever the animals can. In other words, it's going to be hard times, but it's going to be because these two kings, their lands are going to be deserted. And sure enough, the Assyrians did come and clear everybody out. So, so this prophecy did come to pass, right? But here's the problem. Contextually, where's Bethlehem? Where's the manger? Where's the swaddling clothes? Where's the wise men? Where's the shepherds? Where's Mary and Joseph? Where's the star with the tail as big as a kite? Where's the drummer boy? All right, the drummer boy's not really in the Bible, but 
but he should be because I like the, you get a kid that walks up and sees a woman who just gave birth and just got through nursing this child, got him finally to sleep in the middle of a barn that stinks. Joseph hadn't slept in days. And this kid comes up and says, what they need is a drum solo. I like that kind of, that's cool. <laughs> Here's the problem. What does this have to do with Christmas? It didn't. Contextually, it doesn't. Now, hang on. Let's see what's, let's look at a new context. The start of Matthew chapter one. God had been silent for 400 years. He hadn't said a word, not collectively to the nation of Israel, hadn't performed a miracle, hadn't even shown a sign of his existence. 400 years, God had been quiet. In the meantime, the Romans have come. They're occupying. This is seven, 700 years after Isaiah spoke those words and recorded them, right? So 700 years later, for 400 of those years, God had been quiet. And Matthew is writing, he's writing his gospel to a Jewish crowd. To, he wrote it to predominantly Hebrews. And so he, his, the, if you read the gospel of Matthew, he's very intently referring. He'll say, Jesus went here and did this or said that because this fulfilled what this prophet said. And so he's trying to link Jesus back to the prophets to show that he is, uh, he is the Messiah. So he's trying to communicate to the Jews that Jesus Christ is your Messiah you've been waiting on. So he's telling the story, right? And, and so you've got hopelessness. You've got, you've got a country that feels like God has abandoned them. This God that they've uh, tried to worship has not been around or seen or heard from for 400 years, right? So we're going to pick up here. Now we're to Christmas. Everyone say, Christmas! All right, Matthew 1, chapter 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, is all this found and familiar to you? All right, this is what Grandpa read to you on Christmas Eve, right? Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Amen. Boy, we can get excited about that. And then Matthew says this, all of this occurred. So he, he gave a very abbreviated uh, version of the birth of Jesus. If you go to the gospel of Luke, which I love, gospel of Luke's actually my favorite gospel. Luke, he was a physician. He was very uh, educated, very intelligent. And he had investigated, he was like an investigative reporter, man. He wrote a detailed, from all the interviews he did, he wrote a really cool, expanded, detailed version of the birth of Jesus and all the occurrences. Matthew was a little bit more concise because he was trying to hurry up and get to this point here. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Ooh, he's about to fulfill a prophecy. What prophecy is he about to fulfill? Isaiah 7. 
Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him what? Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. We got a problem here, but we'll come back to it. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he, was, he did not have relations. We got young ears, right? We, he did not have relations with her with, until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus, right? We have a problem. We have a problem. Matthew is about to get featured on a YouTube channel, and they're going to talk about how Matthew's a false prophet, and how he's preaching out of context, because Matthew, we all know contextually that that prophecy was for Ahaz, was it not? And God was trying to tell Ahaz that I'm with you, just relax, don't be afraid. They're not going to invade. I'm with you. And here's your sign. So Matthew took something that was intended for Ahaz and he applied it to the circumstances of his life. So he took something that was contextually there and he applied it to his life. Everyone following? Yeah. Not only that, what Matthew did... Uh, 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 the, the word here, look, the virgin will conceive. The word there is, bear with me. Poor Don Sickles, he just texted me and asked if everything was okay that I was calling him. I'm going to have to, y'all say God bless Don Sickles. <laughs> so here is the word that he used. You remember the, the word that Isaiah used for virgin was Alma, and it meant young lady, right? The word that Matthew uses in the Greek is Parthenos. Everyone say Parthenos. And it means what you think that means, right? The word virgin. It, it means what we all say that it means uh, when we usually quote this about the virgin birth. So not only did Matthew take something out of context, he actually changed the word to make it actually mean what was taking place within their midst. Man, we got a, we got a theological problem here. Because, man, he's, Matthew's going to get some private messages. <laughs> he's going to get fussed at. He's going to be called a false prophet. Or he should. And actually, believe it or not, he has. <laughs> This, this, whole, uh, this whole thing that, that I've showed you here has been like debated and, and, and fussed over for, for probably a thousand years. Yeah, ever since people really started plunging into the canon, people have fussed about it. Theologians, again, I don't know what you do to become a theologian, but people have just like rent their clothes over this, right? <laughs> so we're not necessarily going to solve it theologically today, but I am going to say this. It's actually the power of Jesus, or the power of Christmas. And we can kind of show what Matthew did in the word fulfill. The word fulfill actually means this. Uh-oh, where are we going? Where are we going? There we are. The word fulfill means this. To do Because you remember he said, all this happened to fulfill this prophecy. To fulfill this prophecy. So the word fulfill means to do, to perform, or obey 
like you fulfilled a task or order or example. Okay, that's fine. Or it means to carry out. You have fulfilled something you had to do, right? It means to meet a requirement or condition or to satisfy. And then this right here really brings it to life. It means to bring into actuality, to affect or to make real. That's the power of Christmas right there. Now we can celebrate Christmas. Why? Because Christmas, the Bible says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, who is the word? Jesus. Christ, the son of God. So now all of a sudden, God is not some ethereal, uh, untouchable concept out in the great cosmos. But he, God wraps himself in flesh and is born in a manger to become human, to become tangible, to become touchable, to become relatable. So God was taken out of his context and placed in our need and applied to our world. And that's what Matthew did. There was a need in Matthew's lifetime. 400 years of no, nothing with God. People needed hope. People needed salvation. People needed a reason to keep going. People needed to know that God was still on their side. And so he found the prophecy that was meant for Ahaz. And he said, if God, if you were on Ahaz's side because of Emmanuel, well, I'm applying it to my circumstances. I need you on my side. And so I receive Emmanuel into my life as well. And that's what he did. He looked at the circumstances and he looked at the events of Jesus' birth. And he said, God is with us because he sent his only son. Whoever should believe shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. I'm applying Emmanuel. God, I know you were talking to Ahaz, but you're talking to me right now. The wonderful thing is that this, actually he wrote this book long after the second chapter of Acts. So he was long filled with the Holy Spirit. So could it be that the same Holy Spirit that was indwelling Matthew was the same Holy Spirit that was talking to Isaiah? <laughs> and he said, Matthew, you know, I said something to Isaiah about 700 years ago. I think it applies right now to your life and your world. And that's the beauty of Christmas is that God doesn't have to be some faraway God, but he wants to have an everyday, touchable, tangible, real relationship with you. He wants you to apply him to every area of your life. The Bible says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. All your ways, everything you do, let him be a part of it. Apply it. Say, well, what if, what if I get the word of God wrong? The Holy Spirit will let you. We got to let the Holy Spirit do his job. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, he'll lead us and guide us into all truth. And he'll only speak to us what the Father's saying about us. Amen? That's the power of Christmas. That's exactly what took place. These three guys can lend you a little secret into the power of Christmas. Exactly what God did. Uh, the first guy, say, hey, we got some Russian people up there. The first guy is this. Oh, the middle guy. Let's talk about the guy in the middle. The guy in the middle was, I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, Yuri Gagarin. 1961, Yuri Gagarin was the first human to travel into space. After circling the earth, the cosmonaut came back and declared, now he was only touting the, the party line, right? He declared that he looked outside his capsule and didn't see God anywhere. 
Now this stirred a lot of folks. Matter of fact, Dr. Criswell, who you know was longtime pastor of First Dallas, uh, uh, First First Baptist in Dallas, started at Criswell College. <laughs> Dr. Criswell's response was, "Don't just look outside the capsule. Step outside the capsule. You'll meet him really quick." <laughs> right? <laughs> Sounds like a fiery Southern Baptist to me, right? <laughs> uh, now, Premier Nikita Khrushchev also stated he something to the effect of. And I'm paraphrasing that, hey, we've, we have further evidence. You know, we're atheists, and we have further evidence of that because we sent a man into heavens, and he didn't see God, right? Now, C.S. Lewis, anyone ever heard of him? It's the guy on the right side, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, the Screwtape Letters, uh, uh, Silas Marner, a uh, great Christian philosopher, just had a way with words. He actually wrote a letter to to Yuri in response. And part of the letter, he said this. He said, well, think about it. If there was a God, you wouldn't relate to him the way a person on the first floor relates to a person on the second floor, right? You wouldn't just go up from here to there to see him. He said, you would relate to him the way that Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. The only way Hamlet can know anything about Shakespeare as if Shakespeare writes something about himself into the play. Hamlet is not going to find anything out about Shakespeare by going up into the rafters of the stage looking upstairs. Only if Shakespeare, or only if the creator, by revelation, reveals something to the created. If the author shows himself to the character in which he's written about. You'll only know something about your creator if he reveals or if he writes something into the world, into the play. That's what happened at Christmas. God, the author of all life, wrote himself into our play, into our reality. And it's traveled all the way to now because of Christmas. Because God incarnate in flesh, we have the word of God, which is the incarnation of God. Every day of our life, we get to experience Christmas. That God has written himself into our life. That's how we experience him. But you have to apply it. You have to let it jump from the context of the pages into the application of your life. And that's the power of Christmas that allows you to do so. Let's all stand Glory to God, it's 11, 12. I finished three minutes earlier than I normally did. I told you I'd do it. <laughs> Christmas miracle. Christmas miracle. Chasen, I'm going to let you have the stand back. <laughs> Amen. If you're here and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, maybe you've given him your troubles in the past. You've given him your cares and concern, but you've never given him your life. I, I want to offer that chance to you today. The, the book of Romans says that if you'll believe in your heart that he was resurrected and confess with your mouth, look at somebody, find someone to say, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. He is boss. He is, he is master. He is Lord. I've given my whole life to him. Romans says that you're saved. You can be saved. Amen. We complicate it up a lot, but it doesn't have to be complicated.
dedicated. That's the greatest Christmas present you could give yourself and give your whole family. I encourage you to do so today. Let's bow our heads. We're going to sing one more time as a family. And uh, then we're going we're gonna to enjoy the rest of your Christmas weekend uh, as the Lord allows you to. Father, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for becoming human so that we can become like you that we can be seated in heavenly places with you. That we that knew sin could now become the righteousness of God through you. That we ultimately could die out to ourselves but become alive with you in us. Father, we worship you and we praise you. Move in our hearts this coming year. Prepare us for 2024. And speak life into us. Lord, I pray that you allow the rest of this weekend to be a blessed time. And uh, just let it, let it make some precious memories for families. As we celebrate you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing together now next week. It's the last Sunday, the last day of the year happens to be Sunday. I, I want to encourage you, uh, with everything the enemy's thrown at you this year, I want to challenge you to be in service and worship the Lord. The last, man, it'd be a black eye to the devil, you know, after everything he's done, there it is, the last day of the year, and you still show up and you still worship, amen. We're going to hear some testimonies as to what God has been doing in the lives of some folk uh, pertaining to the words that he's talked about for 2024, and uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to go in out of this year encouraged. Amen. But let's sing one more time. Uh, and, but I want you one, one, one more time for these three folk up here that have worked so hard for us today. I want you to say Merry Christmas to these guys.